Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Wes, and I want to talk today about this idea of responding well. Responding well. So we'll hit that those two words a lot. So we're going to talk about what? Responding well. All right, excellent. So first, I want to uh, introduce you to my family. This is my uh, my son, Caleb. He's 15. My, my daughters, Kate and Kenzie, they're twins. They're 12 in seventh grade, and then my wife of 18 years. That's kind of crazy. Uh, so, yeah, that's us. Uh, I... I'm actually going to grab a copy of this bulletin here and send it to my mom because I'm not a doctor, but uh, she might think I am now, so I'm kind of excited. So thank you, whoever put that in there. Um, but I am, I am, uh, uh, I'm working on a thesis, and no lie, my thesis is on the intertestamental period in the Septuagint and how value it is, so I may be talking to you afterwards. Thank you. So my role at Western Seminary is I'm an executive dean for the, for the San Jose and uh, Sacramento campuses. We have about 250 students who attend those two campuses, 17th largest seminary in the world, which is kind of humbling to think about. And we have Andre there, so that just makes us all the better. Um, the, uh, some of you guys have heard of um, Dr. Doctor, the kind that doesn't do anybody any good, Dr. David Nystrom. Anybody here of Dr.? Yeah, you've heard that intro, apparently. I've heard it a lot, <laughs> as you can tell. Uh, I actually studied under him about 15 years ago, and uh, it really changed my life. So the fact that I get to work with him is like, pinch me. The fact that I have to keep him in line, pinch me. It's not easy. So, um, so here's the, the idea. So respond well. Here's the deal. We have the ability to respond well. We do. And when you break down that word responsibility, I don't know if it connects somehow. We're talking about language today, apparently. But I think we have the responsibility to respond well. I think Christians are known not by necessarily all that we do or say, but by how we respond. And I have learned this well. So today's message is really, you know, I love to preach expositionally and... um, I had a story that happened to me over a number of years that's forced me to say, all right, God, I'll tell it. And it all it basically is culminated in this word, respond well. And it's been numerous times people are like, oh, how do you want people to remember you? Or how do you want this to happen? I'm like, respond well. Um, I use it daily. In fact, it is what my wife and I use in our parenting daily. There's not a day that goes by where we're not saying, hey, you responded well to that. Or, hey, how's your response? Um, years ago, I thought, if I ever, I'm ever, and this is before any of this story happened, if I ever plant a church, number one, my wife will probably kill me, so that won't happen. And number two, uh, it would be called Response Church. Response Church. And it was reading Acts 16, which you guys are going to go into pretty soon, and that is where I got it from, really. Um, so our model today is we're going to look at, at uh, my life. We're going to look at some bad responses to to people in scripture and then good responses to people in scripture and um, you know when you have a a guest preacher you just never know how long they're going to go so I'll leave it at that Um, I'm going to set up with miracles uh, tell my story and then uh, we're going to look at a couple areas medical matters how do we respond to medical health issues um, including malpractice how do we respond to material loss and gain? How do we respond to mortality um, of loved ones in particular? And then we're going to respond to micro moments. 
Why are these all M's? I don't know, but it just made it easier for me. So material possessions, medical matters, mortality, and micro, micro moments. These little things in life. Um, before we dive into miracles, let me pray. Um, God, it's always hard to, to tell um, of what you've done through, through our own lives without us getting in the way. And so I pray today as we lift up your word, as we think of uh, and read of stories of people who have responded well and those who have not responded well, that you, God, will be speaking to the hearts of the people here. God, not the people who need to hear the message. Sometimes we sit and go, oh, this person needs to hear this message. But may you penetrate each of our hearts, including mine. This is our worship, God. It's, it's not a message for us. It's a response. It's a response to what you've done, and we lift you up as a result. So bless this time. I pray that your spirit would be um, extra present. You're already in us, but that it would be extra present in speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to look at miracles first, and, and I have to start with a, uh, uh, a story. So this is, uh, this is my brother and sister-in-law, and uh, Sandra is her name, Brian's his name, and, and they had, you know, this dating relationship in college, and Sandra... Uh, really wanted him to propose, like many girls do. And so she thought it was going to happen around Christmas time. Her gift to him was this beautiful list, sappy list of 52 miracles that happened in their life. It was cute and sappy. So it took my brother an entire year to respond and give her a ring. And his response to this was not creative at all, in my opinion. His 53rd miracle was, will you marry me? He listed out 52. Granted, there were rose petals and all this kind of stuff involved. And so he, not only did he say, you know, this was the 53rd miracle, he started a website, miracle53.com. Uh, and so this miracle 53 thing came up a lot, and it, was, uh, it, it became this really weird pattern that I noticed as I look back at my life over the last two, just over two years, three years. Um, and so uh, his response is what it is. We'll come back to it in a bit. But there's some bad responses to miracles. Let me see if I did this right. Um, oh, wow. Nope. Okay, so there's some um, good responses to miracles, and there's some not-so-good responses to miracles. This first one, um, and I've got a big old list if you, you want to see it later, but I know for time's sake we need to just dive in. In Matthew 12, we see this, uh, this guy who has a withered hand, right? And Jesus says to, to him, um, well, he heals him, right? He says, hey, make your, your hand well. And, and what, what happened was the response to this was, wow, this guy's, this is excited. I'll read verse 9 here. He went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might so that they might accuse him. So these Pharisees were trying to get him. And he says, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit, will not take hold of it? Or how much value is a man, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. So there, this is miracle. And what's their response? Pharisees went out, conspired against him, how to kill him. There's a unique response, not a good example. 
But a good example is a story you probably have just read, and it's in Acts 3. It's when this lame beggar is healed by, by Peter, and, and he's wanting alms. And Peter says, now look at us. Look at us. And he fixes attention on them. And Peter says simply, I don't have silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And not, this is where it blows me away. He took him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Okay, pause. My daughter just broke her wrist back in January, and she got the cast off about three weeks ago. She's still trying to straighten her elbow. Like, she was in a cast for six weeks. She's still, it's like, she's here. I'm like, come on, girl, you can do it. We want to get you in the volleyball games, you know? And she's, she's trying. This guy was in for years, and it says... He stood up and walked. Do you get that? That is crazy. That's a miracle. And leaping up, he stood, began to walk and enter the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now that's a good response. Little things happen or big things happen. What's our response? Praise be to God. I can walk. I can run. I can jump. I'm going to go. And what's crazy is people responded to that. With wonder and amazement, it says in verse 10. Wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. How we respond to things, and I tie in, is, is amazing. And you can look back at your own life. Uh, but I want to tell you a hopefully quick story about, um, about mine and responding well. I've never been really good at responding well, uh, particularly when it comes to sporting events. Uh, so I really, somebody asked me to coach recently, I'm like, I can't do it. Uh, I get too wrapped up in the game. And it's like, well, come on, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, I'm fear and trembling that I'd have to work out my salvation in that manner. And so I've kind of had to pull back. Um, I'm actually assistant coaching my girls' volleyball team, but I made sure that they don't call me coach. They call me assistant because I don't want to be known as a coach. I get too wrapped up in it. I'm learning to respond well as we all are. On uh, February 16th, February 16th, 2016, I had neck surgery. I had this pinched nerve. You might be able to see it. If you can't, that's probably good, so you don't get grossed out. And I had this pinched nerve in my, dis uh, in my neck, and I had to have surgery, which was kind of scary, slow recovery. But uh, amazingly, I, I told my wife about a month before, and I said, hey, Something's coming up, and I don't think it's the next surgery. I think something else is going to happen in, in our lives. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. 53 days later, our house catches fire. You see a whole bunch of junk on our front there. We were out of our house for four months. We lost about $250,000, um, and we got a pretty new home. Somebody painted my house. I would never do that. It was amazing. Uh, we had a really good experience for our kids and our family. My wife loved it. We could only have so much stuff in this hotel room. And so free breakfast, somebody made the beds. She was like, this is awesome. And I'm going, get me away from the kids. I need my space. It was a great experience. 150 days later, I, I discover I have to have hand surgery uh, as they figured out my nerve issue. Sure enough, I have to have hand surgery. 53 days later, I have another MRI, and they say, you have disc issues in your lower back, and it's kind of ripped. We're not going to do anything right now. We're going to do physical therapy, and I'll fast forward to two weeks ago. I had another MRI on it, 
and a couple of bulging discs, and they're not sure what to do other than physical therapy. And so any of you who know that numbing feeling of sciatica know what I'm talking about, which is probably 75% of America. But it's, it's nagging. At the end of 2016, I had hand surgery. So I said, December 31st, no, December 30th, I want to get this 2016 done with. So I had this hand surgery, you know, in this cast or whatever, and 53 days later, I'm not even making this up, it's crazy, the trend. 53 days later, uh, my brother, Brian, who was 34 at the time, uh, was supposed to be on family vacation in Mexico, in Mexico, with his wife in Cabo and kids. They took off on Wednesday. He wasn't feeling well, so he, he took his son Eli, held him at home, and then his mother-in-law came and was watching Eli, because he got sick, he went to the hospital. They said, now you got the flu, they sent him home. Next day, he went to the doctor. The doctor said, yeah, you got pneumonia, go to the hospital. So I get a call from his wife, Sandra. While we're actually, I was a bunch, with a bunch of pastors singing this song, uh, it's your breath in our lungs and we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise to you only. And I, while I'm singing that, I get a call from my sister-in-law from Mexico. And I just send it to voicemail. I get out of the car, I listen to it. And she says, hey, Brian's in the hospital. Uh, everything's fine, he got pneumonia. And you know, I said, well, I, so I, I get on my phone. I, I, I can't talk to him because he's, you know, got pneumonia. So I start texting him, hey, you want me to come up to, uh, to Seattle and watch Eli, his son? Do you want me to, to bring him down to Mexico? Do you want um, me just to sit there? Um, his response to, do you want me to come up, was really interesting because he said, I won't say no. Who says that? A and then his response to taking Eli or whatever, he said, no, I promised him Legoland. So we'll do Legoland after I'm out of the hospital. So uh, I get a call a few hours later, and Sandra says, hey, he's in ICU. They just want to give him more attention. Well, they intubated him. And so I got, I flew up last flight up there to Seattle. I got in the hospital at 11 p.m. And at, at 11.58, he went code blue. They start doing CPR on him. 34-year-old guy, played full court basketball four days prior, was just feeling a little sick. And now they're bringing him back to life. So we're all like, hey, this is cool. My mom's in Virginia, my dad's in Florida. And so I've got to call his wife and say, hey, they just brought your husband back. And I'm like, I don't know how to say this. So I call her and I'm, I'm, I'm going, what is going on? Uh, an hour later, he went code blue again. And right when it happened, I called her and said, I just have to be on the phone with you. I don't know what's going on here. It's just, uh, it freaked me out. And then an hour later, they decided to um, do CPR on him for 90 minutes, which is still implanted in my brain. And uh, he died at 3.44 AM. Um, it was crazy, and uh, as you can imagine. So uh, he, he dies, and, and uh, Sandra, I'm in the hospital room. She says, you have to tell Eli, my nephew. So I go back home. I think I slept for an hour. And then Eli woke up all excited, and I said, you know, I had to tell him, which, again, another memory etched. I hope it's not in his mind, but um, that was crazy. So here's a picture of his family. There's Eli, there's Emma, Sandra, and, and Brian. Uh, this is what we used on the memorial uh, service. But that day I decided to call. I, was, I stepped into gear, like, all right, I got to step up here. I got to step up. And I called the hospital. I called the funeral home. I said, hey, how much is this going to cost? 
So I figured around $15,000 was probably a high estimation. And a, a buddy of my brother's, Nick, said, hey, why don't you do one of those crowdfunding campaigns to try and you know, raise some money for him? Well, she's still in Mexico. She's in Mexico all of this happens. So she tells Emma on the last flight home, she's flipping out. Emma was four, Eli was six. And so she comes in and I hug her, you know, see my dad come down the, the, the escalator at the airport and my mom, it's, you know, all these things is crazy. Many of you have probably experienced this. For me, it was, it was the first. And so I see Sandra, I hug her, I said, you need to get some sleep. But hey, Nick said, hey, why don't we do this posting of something? So I said, okay. So I post it, go to sleep. I wake up the next morning and, you know, somebody had given, because we're from the East Coast, and somebody had given some money, it kind of early. From the first hour that someone gave money to 53 hours later, we had $53,000. It was crazy. So yeah, oh, well, money's not going to fix it, but it helps. The second day uh, after, I see, we go to another house, Sandra and I, and so I say, life insurance. She said, well, and I'm like, no. My brother did well. He worked at T-Mobile headquarters. He did well in Bellevue, Washington. She says, he had a medical exam on Monday because he got off the T-Mobile policy and wanted to get a $2 million policy because he knew that that would take care of us. So we get an email on Monday after to Brian's account. Dear Mr. Earhart, we have a few more questions, so please call us back, and your policy will go into underwriting. And so we're thinking, oh, my goodness. If he died four days later, she'd have $2 million. So lawyers stepped in and said, hey, we'll take a look at it. Sorry, we got nothing. You lost out on $2 million. bucks. When all was said and done, our website had uh, made about $90,000, which was amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, that same week, the church stepped up in amazing ways. The body of Christ was the body of Christ. I can't even tell you how awesome. They were involved in a small group, and because of that, they had meals and meals and meals. It was crazy. It was crazy. So th that was the first week. We still haven't got to the memorial service. So Friday, a week after he dies, I hate telling this story because everybody's like morbid. We gotta just try to loosen up, loosen up. Yeah, it is morbid. Um, but it's taught me about responding well to each of these things, to each of these things. How do I respond to the news, to telling Eli, to all these things? It's not easy, and I've not done perfect, but I'll tell you what, it's taught me a lot. So Friday comes, and um, they had done an autopsy. Young guy dies soon. They don't know what it is. So they do an autopsy. Uh, a nurse calls us. We meet with the nurse, and she says, hey, um, so the results came back. He died of hantavirus. And I'm like, so? What is that? 700 cases in the history of the U.S. of hantavirus, 300 have ended in death. Hantavirus is caused, get this, by deer mice feces that may come in the air, and you inhale, and you get hantavirus pulmonary syndrome. Your lungs fill with water, capillaries can't hit, you know, do this stuff, and you're dead. So we're like, what? Sandra says, wait a second. We just had mice, when you guys were back for Thanksgiving here, we had, we had an um, you know, exterminator come through. And I kept telling Brian, you know, there's probably mice in the house. You need to go fix it, clean it up. And that winter was one, it was very wet like this one. 
And so the, the, the theory by scientists were that mice were trying to go further to get food than where they ordinarily were. So I say, uh-oh, we need to go home. Tell my wife to get one of those masks you know, that I could wear you know, for allergies or whatever you mow the lawn. And I put the mask on, and I look in the vent, and there's mouse droppings. And I looked at Sandra, and I said, you're out of here. We all left. We had dinner somebody brought. We're just like, we're out. So we move her into a hotel that night. She did not return to her home, folks, for seven months. From a week after her husband dies to seven months. We had bioclean teams. In fact, I've got a picture here. This is her and I looking. You can see somebody with a mask on, or you can't, through Skype. They had an iPad, and they were going through item by item in her home while we sat there going, yes, keep it maybe try and clean it, throw it away. They had 3,000 square foot home. It was insane. And so she had to get an inventory. She had to write costs. She finally finished it all about two months ago. Two months ago. So almost two years it took her to go through that process. Now, you're just kind of like, are you kidding me? This is insane. Yeah, it is. It is. They ended up totaling her cars because they were parked in the garage and thought maybe the hantavirus was stuck in the cars. So she had to buy a new car. Um, I mean, I, I, I tell this, I'm writing the story down going, are you kidding me? Like, did this really happen? So then they construct the home. My dad helps, a, rule, uh, a great guy from church helps. And from February to, to she finally moved in in October, um, I was her right-hand man. I mean, I was her older brother. And it was, it was great. We became super close. And then she moved back in. And somebody offered help. Um, a single guy offered help. And I was kind of like, what's going on, man? All right, well, as you can imagine, uh, fast forward, and I, I kind of went from older brother to what I felt like was other, but really it was just late husband's brother. I get a call. I really wasn't involved too much uh, except for at the one-year anniversary. I get a call in May um, that she's engaged. And I'm like, I'm still... I don't know how to respond to this one still. Well, the cool thing is we had a trip planned to Legoland. So last June, we went to Legoland, took the kids, went to Disneyland. Um, picture of Emma and Snow White. Snow White was amazing. She said, and it was the day her daddy died. She said, my daddy died this day. And Snow White dropped to the ground and looked in her eyes and tell me about him. It was beautiful. Ariel, not so much. So I'm just saying I like Snow White better. <laughs> I don't know. She was married about six weeks after we went to Disneyland. I love her. I'm glad she's happy. Um, but things are different. We have two matters that are pending, one of which is a trial. There's now three uh, lawsuits. Uh, there was a case of hantavirus in uh, King County about two months prior to my brother dying. And the county never told anybody. So there's a, a trial. And so uh, ironic, or, like, amazingly, the judge said, yes, we want it to go to trial. Well, King County's bigger than five or six states in the union. They got a lot of money. And so they said, um, no, we're going to appeal that. So right now, it's going to be heard by the Washington State Supreme Court whether or not it can go to trial. I think she's going to hopefully make out with some money um, so it can take care of her, maybe make up for that, that $2 million, but I'm kind of out of that. That's, that's her, her suit. Um, and then the other, the other follow-up thing that's kind of fun, kind of confusing, is um, the relationship with the kids. 
and this goes right back into responding well uh, again. So I had, I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'm down here, they're up there. How do I keep the memory of their brothers? My, we're my only sibling. And so I, I said, hey kids, what's your, dad, what's your favorite animal? Or what was daddy's favorite animal? And they're like, a liger. A liger? They're like, Napoleon Dynamite fans know what that is, but it's a lion and tiger mix. So we're singing Lion of Judah here, and I'm going, whoa, this is crazy, Lion of Judah. And so I said, oh, great, here's what I'm going to do. I had a friend who did this with his kids. He traveled the world. And so I, I went to the Dollar Tree. I got a tiger and a, a, a lion. I cut the head off of one, and then I sewed the other one on. The sewing wasn't very good. <laughs> That's not my gift. And so then I duct taped it. And wherever I went, wherever I told the story of their daddy, I took a picture. Wherever I saw something cool, I'm in the airplane. I'm like, this person, hold this, you know. And so uh, September comes around, and I get my car broken into, and they took my bag. And it, Mr. Tygon was his name. They had Mr. Tygon in there. And I, I'll tell you what, I, I, this was a poor response that I'm learning about. I said, that's not fair. Or no, 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 not, that, yeah, that's not fair, obviously. But man, that's symbolic. I've lost Tygon. I've lost the relationship. Woe is me. So two weeks ago, I said, no, I'm going to invest in these kids. So I bought a new um, tiger and lion, and I cut the tiger off, and I sewed him. And this one even is a unicorn. So he's not Tygon, but he's Mr. Unigon. Huh? So here's what I need. Uh, somebody in here want to hold him? Because I take pictures now wherever I go of the, for the kids' sake so they know that people heard about their daddy and they heard about his story. So if you don't mind, hold still because it's panoramic. What? You can't leave for the picture. <laughs> All right, hold still. Here we go. We're going. You got it? Holding still. Holding still. Holding still. Holding still. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, and somebody blinked, but we won't retake it there. So I've done this a bunch, and it's really weird. Um, I preach in prison a lot once a month, and I've never been able to bring this in. I don't know why. They just don't let me, but so it is. So here, here's the deal, and here's where we kind of dive in more. And I, I hate this because it's a crazy story, and you can kind of remember that, and I really want us to understand that it's about responding well. When all this happened, in 2017, I recalled a message from Chip Ingram. He's a pastor in the Bay Area. And Chip said this, I want to teach my kids two things in life. I want to teach them to be grateful, and I want to teach them how to suffer well. So all in 2000, I mean, in this bubble wrap culture of our kids, we don't teach suffering. We don't do it. We don't let them suffer. Am I right? We're all like feeling guilty right now. <laughs> but it's true. And so I told my kids while I'm crying in the process and I'm going, what's going on? I'm like, how am I suffering? And they're like, eh, you're all right. Like, no, you can suffer and cry. It's okay. How am I suffering? And then I realized I'm teaching my kids martyrdom and masochism, and this is not a good idea. So in 2018, I shifted and said, how are we responding? I have twins. One made the eighth grade team. One made the seventh grade team. How are you responding, eighth grader? I'm not going to be on the team unless they take her on the team. Eh, no. You have great news. Let's celebrate it. Let's be it. Seventh grader, how are you responding? Are you happy for your sister? 
or are you not? Just selfish. Every day we use the term responding well. 90% of the time it's about screen time, as you can imagine. <laughs> but every day we're using this idea of response. We come to church, and why do we come to church? Because we respond out of love for God. Some of us respond because it's habit. But our responses say something. Here's a quote I heard years ago. is Christians are like tea. You don't know what they taste like until they get in hot water. Christians are like tea. You don't know what they taste like until they're getting hot water. Are you bitter? What do you taste like? Are you weak? Are you bland? Are you too strong? Need to back off a little bit? Or are you good? You respond well when blessing comes. And it's just as important when you respond well when, good things, uh, when hard things happen. I believe the most telling indicator of who we are and where the most growth happens comes in our response to each moment of life. So I'm going to fly through these, and I won't be able to read them all. Um, if you want to write them down, you can. But in medical matters, for us, um, responding well, Galatians 6, 11, Paul says, see this? I write with my own hand. What do you mean he writes with his own hand? Many believe Paul had a well, thorn in his flesh that was eyesight. He says in First Corinthians, or excuse me, Second Corinthians 12, 17 and following. So to keep me from being conceited because of surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. My prayers made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Wow. Wow. Wish I could respond like that. I'm learning how to. I'm learning how to. Uh, a couple other bad examples. If you want to take a look at Jeremiah, and he talks about um, uh, wounds of daughter. and, and it's, it's very metaphorical, but I want to keep going just for the sake of time. Um, Responding well to material loss and gain. Man, I had my bag stolen. I had my house. We lost $250,000, memories, all this kind of stuff. My sister-in-law lost this stuff. Man, I learned a lot about this. I remember standing in my driveway, and, and just I think scripture memory is great because it comes into play in times like this. And I sat there, and um, mind you, I had a neck brace on. <laughs> and I was... Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18... It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, which far outweighs all these little light and momentary troubles. So I fix on my eyes on what is, not on what is temporary, but what is eternal. Now, young people, it's easy for us to kind of think that, but it's really hard to go, really? I'm going to focus on the eternity, and I got like 50, 60, 80 years left. I think it's a both and. We can balance both and. But we have to consider things temporary that are temporary. Things that are temporary are temporary. My bag was a bummer. Lost about 1500 bucks. I don't know why I care more about that than my house, but I really did not like losing Mr. Tygon, so <laughs> that was a bummer. Bad response. Rich young ruler. Matthew 19, 
he, um, he didn't respond well to what he had. He wasn't willing to give it up. Now, I'm not saying God's calling you to give everything up. But that's an example of a poor response when it came to that. Next one, um, mortality. Job was a great example. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I say this not so much that I am great, but I think your faith, as you build your faith and you come to hot water experiences, you discover who you are. And you get encouraged by the fact that you are able to handle things. And you get shooken up by the things you go, whoa, wait, I need to correct my thinking here. And I remember standing in the hospital room going, Lord gives, Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The morning of the memorial service, after my sister-in-law was kicked out of service, or kicked out of her home, excuse me, she texts me when she wakes up. This is not about Brian. This is about God being glorified. And 700 T-Mobile workers heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because my brother lived it. And they connected dots, and they went, wow, he was different. It was amazing. I had my, um, yeah, it was amazing. See, in the midst of all of it, I'm just going, wow, God be glorified. God be glorified. And I know my brother would be proud, too. Uh, mortality. Job, you also have a bad example of mortality. That was actually supposed to be for the next one. Um, let's go to that. So for mortality, the one example I was looking at was with David. He had Bathsheba, right? You know, he had, and then he gets Uriah. He kills him, basically. He sleeps with Bathsheba, realizes he's in trouble because she's pregnant. Says, Uriah, you need to come. And then he ends up basically killing him by sending him out to, the, um, to that place. And then the baby dies, right? How do we respond to mortality? It's so hard. I still don't know how the answer is. My wife's a therapist, so she's been amazing in helping me. Um, but it's been really hard. One thing she did in response to, to the death was to bring life into our home, which I'm still struggling with, but grateful. 53 days, I kid you not, after Brian died, she decided to buy two puppies. And she's a therapist. She should know better. <laughs> so we named one Timo. We named the other one Gadget. And they've been great. And they've been new life. So for as much as there's mortality, there's also life that comes. And God brings that. And then lastly, I kind of wanted to have a little experience here where you have these responding well to micro moments. Uh, uh, little things. One of the things I'm, I'm still in awe of is that my phone did not die at the hospital. I don't know how. I was on the phone so much. I didn't think about it until later. Little things like microbes and microorganisms that get inhaled to kill someone. There's all these little things that add up. When my wife got the puppies, I said, I'm not taking care of them. And so she got up in the morning at 5 to take care of them. And we get the, I just don't understand this. She got up at 5, and then she's like, huh. A friend said, do you work out? And she goes, no, maybe I will, though. And she started the week after the puppies came working out. As of last week, she's lost 53 pounds. And she gets up every morning at 4.15 and goes and works out and all this stuff. She's changed for, for the better. Not that she needed to, but good gravy. 
I mean, all this stuff, it's, it's just crazy. How are we responding? Her response was, I'm going to love him in the way that she did. I was going to ask you guys, little moments in the Bible or bad moments? I'll leave them blank because we're wrapping up here. Responding well. I believe it's who we are. Um, I've learned a lot. I have a lot more to learn. And I kick myself when I don't respond well. And I often tell my kids, kids, I'm sorry. I did not respond well to that. That's our language in our home. Response, response, response. Um, Instead of reaction. We're like tea. We are. We're like tea. Christians are like tea. We don't know what we taste like until we get in the hot water. And so I want to ask you, as you're thinking here, maybe write it down. Is there someone, something that you need to respond to? Someone or something you need to respond to? Is there some way um, or, or something you need to respond for on behalf of someone? Maybe you need to respond well by doing something. Maybe you need to respond well with someone or with a gift or it could be anything. Consider it as a response to this, to this message and this service that God has um, blessed us to be part of. I close with one quote, and that is one of my favorites um, from Richard Foster. He says, prayer, and I memorized this years ago, never knowing it would come back. Prayer is the human response to the outpouring of love by which God lays siege to every soul. Prayer is always a great response. Outpouring of love by which God lays siege to every soul. So let's pray in response and um, end our time. God, you are, I love the fact, God, that you respond to us. That blows me away. It blows me away to think that you love us so much that you would respond even to our prayers. That they matter, that, that you are God. And even though we're micro, we're macro to you. God, thank you for the brokenness that we've had in our lives, for these opportunities we've had to respond well, to suffer well, and shape us to be more like your image. Jesus, you knew suffering to the highest degree in the cross and yet responded by conquering death. And for that, God, we are eternally grateful. As we live into that, as we remember that, may God, we respond well in it all. It's only by your spirit and in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.